Oh, would you look at that? We're back. It's the I Get Buckets podcast. My name is Simon Harrix, and you are tuning into a long-running series of podcasts looking at reviewing the draft that we've just done. We're talking fantasy basketball, we're talking the I Get Buckets League, and we're talking team number eight this time round. So we're really smashing them out now. We're getting to the final hurdle. Only a few more teams. And I've been, you know, getting my head around some of the stuff. Everything's changing. We're seeing basketball. People getting injured. We're really ramping up um, in the excitement building towards tip-off and that first week matchup. Um, kind of still pondering the the good picks, the mistakes, where we should have gone. So to get some more information and, and thoughts down is always going to be a fun thing to do. I think... What I've been feeling moving into this one in particular in teammate for Coach uh, Dan moving forward here is I think maybe I haven't been as, you know, hot takey in some of the ones. I've been pretty consistent down the line, I think, in terms of my thoughts, but I've really maybe haven't gone as extreme or hard on the, the praise or the even the, the negging that sometimes I've done in the past. So I think this one, we're going to take a deep breath and maybe really pull out some of the big gun guns and, and go a lot maybe further in my thoughts than I would potentially do just for the fact that I think it'll be fun and also for the fact that um, I guess A, I think Dan's going to get a real kick out of it um, and B, if it is real with his threat that he's leaving next season then who cares, let's kind of um, go hard and fast in the last time that I have the opportunity for but I think it'll be fun maybe just to, to ramp it up a little bit with some of the things. So we'll see how we go. Um, I might kind of head back to, to the meme with some of the picks. But um, one that was the most intriguing on draft night for a number of reasons, I think he was quite quick on the draw after his first pick and after the, the, the exclamations in the room about how he's picking his boys this year. It's all about his boys moving forward in, you know, what might be the final kind of victory lap year for for head-to-head fantasy. Um, I did buy that for a little bit, but I think in the group chat, maybe maybe I'm not buying it as as much as that's a facade to to pick some of the things that he thinks are really going to translate well. So we'll see. A couple of picks are, are real kind of question marks that we'll, we'll double down on. Um, but I think in essence... You know, the team was by far the best by a long way in the regular season last year and, you know, very well-deserved winning, you know, very competitive final um, match of the championship. But, you know, overall, only dropping, I think, the two games for the whole season was was very, very, you know, near perfection in the way that kind of went out and unrivaled in a long, you know, decade of, of fantasy that we've had. So to see what the team looks like this year in, in the title defense is, is always an interesting one. And the aforementioned gasp and shock in the room, I guess, was with his first pick at number eight, and that was Zion Williamson. So lots been said about Zion already. What I think about this big is that it's just crazy early in the context of everything and I do see a pathway where Zion's a top 10 player and it's something that I said last year where I took him at 12 and you know said on draft night this is the this is the last time he's going to be outside 10 for a long time barring injury um I mean he didn't play a game last season 
and he still has been picked higher than that. So maybe I was right in saying, you know, he's 10 and he's in the top 10 moving forward. Um, but where I think this gets my head around is like everyone would have, you know, had a question mark on what Zion Williamson is going to look like um, given, you know, he didn't play a game this season. And I think to take him in the top 10 um, is really with this thought process that it's this dream Zion that we've all kind of wanted to, to get a hold of and, um, you know, saw in that one full season that he kind of put together that, you know, this is where he should be. But I think you're taking, you know, three or four leaps um, down the road to kind of really risk so much of your, your draft stock in taking him here. And that's not to say that I do see him, you know, evolving into a role that could be top 10, but I just think you didn't need to pick him here. You had an next pick at um, 13, and I reckon it would have been weird for someone else to kind of take him. So I do think you could have had a LeBron and a Zion or a Curry and a Zion or a Durant and a Zion with your two picks instead. And I think you've maybe pushed him to the point where it, it just didn't seem like uh, a risk that you needed to take. Um I know his boy, I know he does fit into the mold of what I've been preaching around that next group of players after, you know, four in this young best player um, on their team, team looks to be good kind of ceiling. But the other caveat to that group was that they were healthy and that they were playing all the games. And um, there's nothing that we've seen that I think you can bet on Zion to play a full season. I do like that he's come into camp, you know, looking like he's in shape for the first time in his career. Um, I like some of the thoughts and obviously him playing preseason. I don't give a shit about the Instagram. I do feel that maybe he was fit enough to play last year and that they probably, you know, put him um, in a box to kind of shelve him and and keep okay for for this season coming. But what I do think is what we saw from Zion in that healthy season was different than what we're going to see now in terms of the way they played. You know, he was unleashed. There's this kind of point Zion thing. But the team's a little bit different now. Um, he didn't really get to play with Jonas Valanciunas at all. Um, CJ McCollum's obviously here. I think CJ is the point guard running forward. It doesn't really work um, for Zion to kind of just bump and grind and go downhill as much as he was before. I think he's going to have to to fit in a little bit more around what they're doing. So it's going to be interesting what what the coach does down around there. I'm, you know, super high on the the concept of, of Zion and what he does. And you'd be silly not to be enamored with the the brutal kind of strength and ferocity that Zion has. But, you know, the shooting's still a work in progress. Um, the team looks a lot different. I think they're going to be good, but um, it's not going to be this, you know, raw high stat, you know, thing just because of the usage. I think he there's a lot of question marks around it. So for you to kind of say pick eight, um, let's go with him here, I think it's real, a real misread unless you really buy into um, this idea that uh, I just, I really want to, to own Zion this year. But I mean, I think you could have owned him at pick 13 quite easily um, unless someone else was going to go for him, which I don't know. I had him at 20 on my board and I felt like that was pretty high. Um, the fact that, you know, everyone from that one to 19 before him, I think are, are a lot more, um, you know, capable of, of giving you a lockdown kind of fantasy output that you can build upon. And that's not to say that some of these players are, are more skilled than Zion because they're not, you know, he's, 
been viewed as this kind of you know generational kind of guy for a reason um but i just think it's a real kind of misread on on where you needed to go for him um and it puts you behind the likes of a lot of other teams um unless zion can blow every kind of measure out of the water um and stay on the court and you know i think that's a a a step that you didn't have to take at this point and a step that was, you know, other people are unwilling to take based on what we've seen so far. So if I'm going to really kind of leap, I don't really think it's that much of a hot take to say Zion is early at eight. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that kind of goes moving forward. But again, another one, I know it's your boy. Um, it's still early. It's Pascal Siakam. Um, we're looking at Toronto here. The average was super healthy last year at, at, at 30. He kind of came in injured. I struggle with, with Pascal Siakam because I think he's proven me wrong a few times, but every time I kind of watch him, um, I, I get it, but I just I still think like this, the, the stats kind of um, are generous in, in a way that, you know, I don't feel like he's got a lot of this offensive game to the point of some of the other players that you would pick in, a, in an early round two. And I do think, you know, whether it's Scotty Barnes or um, even like Precious Achua or a few others kind of with their growth and, you know, eating into some of the rebounds, like I think he's proven a lot of people wrong and he's proven me wrong. And he's a much better player than I thought he was going to be even after, you know, the Toronto final series. Um, he came back last year and, and was so amazing the point where, you know, I thought comfortable of putting him 23, knowing that that was probably a little bit lower than other people would have him because of his youth and because of his role at Toronto and because of his average. The fact that he scored over 2,000 points last year despite missing, you know, a bit in the, um, you know, the start of the season. He had these weeks that were like consistently awesome, um, you know, really kind of you can bank on the value from, from game to game. Um, it's just when I watch him play basketball, I'm like, okay, like I like it, it's good. But um, then I look at his stats, and I'm like, I, I, it's, it's hard to kind of like mesh into this is how good of a player he is based on um, some of the um, aspects of his game that I think can be right, you know, vulnerable. But I do think you know he's very, very you know respectable defensively, and he's got the frame and the archetype athletically. Um, to you know really get there I think the work rate is huge and that's a big thing for him so even though like I'm surprised he kind of has gotten to the level as he is in respect of what he probably as an NBA rank based on some of the things you watch like you can't knock the effort you can't knock you know the coaching around Toronto and what they're doing to put him in you know the best position to do these things and I think the scoring is come on in leaps and bounds um, even you know the you no know, the, the shooting hasn't been you know amazing it's just okay well you're you're picking him at a point here where I don't see any world where he's a top 10 player um so you know the only way for him to 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 get the 13 I think is um really unrealistic best case scenario kind of thing so um, you're picking him in a moment now that's only going to set you up to fail, I think. Um, and, you know, there is a world where Zion and, and Pascal, I think, uh, you know, your top 15 guys if everything goes right. But um, 
the fact that you got, you know, eight and 13 and you're betting on these people to, to lead you to the promised land um, based on the, the top two that everyone else has got. I think you're a step behind already. And maybe that's, you know, per design because, you know, you want to get you guys and that's okay. But um, again, I, I'm curious on whether Pascal Siakam would have lasted to the next pick. Probably not. I think he's too good for, to have done that. Um, so if you did want him, this is probably the, the, the price to pay. But, you know, I had him at 23 and I think the likes of, um, you know, directly after that, you've got Sabonis, Towns, Ball um, and Booker in this um, next round. I, you know, I all kind of lean towards those guys over Pascal. And, I mean, I think some of that reason is because of how high I was on his next pick at Scotty Barnes. And I like, I think I'm at the point now that everyone's pretty high on Scotty Barnes, but I felt I wanted to go a step further because of how it's going to translate to fantasy. So um, I think Scotty Barnes is just know everything that you want in a fantasy player in terms of his effort, his, um, you know, active hands on defense, his commitment um, to kind of really getting in all the spots that you need to. The effort is just immaculate. Obviously, again, we've got three players in a row where the shooting isn't like great. That's not a hallmark of any of these players, but what they do do is do everything else in terms of um, high usage, kind of moving the ball, IQ, passing, rebounding, um, the touch around the rim. I think Scotty Barnes is just going to absolutely fill up the boss score everywhere. Um, Does that eat into some of Pascal Siakam's, you know, statistical output from last year potentially um i just think there's not enough good things you can say about scotty barnes i'm curious about you know whether you can build around him in in the way that you know some people have spoken about um but he does he does feel like the the best form glue guy you can kind of possibly see in the fact that he's in his second season and blowing all my expectations around stuff you know it only took i think one half of the first time he played Toronto last year for him to destroy the Nets and me like, okay, this is a wake-up call about, you know, how good he is um, in terms of the effort, which is stark contrasting to some of these other teams where they're, you know, good players who think they're good and are good, but like I don't really put in the, the time and the effort that's, you know, maybe they need to because they feel quite comfortable in their importance and what they, you know, give to the team where, you know, Scotty Barnes is is just on and it just feels like it's a coach's delight and maybe the Toronto staff have, you know, a bit to do with that. But I can't say good things. Still, package all of this around that. Pick 28 is probably on the early side. What I will say is I had him at 25 and I had him there at 25 thinking that no one else was going to have him probably higher. Um, but I knew that I wouldn't have been comfortable taking him into round four. Um, despite me having him that high, it felt like given the way, you know, things were going to crumble, um, he would, should, and probably, you know, needed to be a fourth round player rather than a third round player based on what we've got. But I do think it's a lot less, you know, risky than the first two picks because I, I think there's a, a lot of pathways that, you know, he's going to be very, very healthy for for someone at pick 28. It's just, um, again, <laughs> there's a lot of other people that you could have maybe banked on and, and hoped that he would slip. But, yeah, I think the fact that he was looking at his next turnaround at pick 33 
maybe there it's just a hard one to place. I'm not going to get as down on 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 this one because he's just a magician and I love everything that that comes through. So next pick is Darius Garland at 33. I'm not sure if he said it was, again, like a homer pick. I don't think it, it feels that way. I think, you know, Darius Garland came on in the way last year where this is where people were going to go for him. Um, again, had him in that, you know, roulette of the Cleveland players. I had him as my best Cleveland player. I would have taken him first out of um, the four here. I had him at 28 on my board. He's gone 33 here. I think his average of 25 last year is healthy in the way that it will go up because, you know, we did see him kind of grow into the season a little bit. Um, I think the addition of Donovan Mitchell was a good thing for him. We've heard a lot in other podcasts. If you, you know, it's out there, it's not a new train of thought, but um, it was something that I was noticing last year because I owned him and watching him that he was relied on, you know, probably too much, you know, late in games to really initiate the offense and get things going. And while he, you know, was very capable, it did kind of, I think, push his efficiency down and him not um, being, you know, the the takeover kind of guy in the likes of some of the other players around the league um, and in the mold of Donovan Mitchell who can bring that. So the hope is, you know, he can be more of this kind of traditional point guard. The assist numbers were really kind of good last year and will be better, I think, with a with a team that's maybe scoring a little bit more, um, is, is comfortable on offense um, with a couple more shooters out there. I just think a few of the things they can do, he can push his assists right up. I do think maybe the scoring comes down, but with better efficiency. So I, I think he's probably the better bet um, to be the best Cleveland player. I only had him two ahead of Donovan Mitchell. I felt they were very, you know, both around the same kind of mark for me to go. Um, but I, I do believe in in what Darius Garland is going to be, and I think everyone does. So I don't think it was it was early or late. I would have been shocked if he didn't go on the next five or so picks if he didn't take, take him. Um, so I've, I feel comfortable with, you know, Darius Garland at 33 here, but I wouldn't be picking him expecting he's going to have this breakout season um, to, to, you know, push him to this elite fantasy um, realm. I think he's very, very good and he's going to have the incremental improvement, all, you know, among a Cleveland team that's going to be better. But I think the addition of Donovan Mitchell and, and how they're going to assimilate some of the stuff is that Mitchell, even though he's new, is probably kind of the guy late. Um, so I, I, I think that that real huge, you know, leap to, um, you know, put himself into this like top 20 kind of thing is, is off the table a little bit. But I still think he's, his average probably trends up a tick. And the fact that it was, you know, your 25 last year is is a good floor for him to, to push it up to that 27 mark potentially, um, which makes it a real healthy fourth round pick and maybe softens some of the... The, the early picks of, of the start. So um, all, all players are really good. You're not going to get a bad player in the top four rounds. It's just, um, I guess, who you're passing up on and who you, you're banking on moving forward and the price that you pay, um, which I think has been a high price consistently for, for three out of the four guys. Um, going forward, next pick, uh, we go down to Drew Holiday. Um, so Drew Holiday at pick 48. I think... Maybe this is worthwhile at time saying for pick stairway to Kevin. It's a great name. <laughs> it's a great picture of the thing. Big ticks for that. But uh, stairway to Kevin adds Drew Holiday. 
Yeah, he is what he is at this point. Again, he was one of those players that I feel like he couldn't bump um, back too far, given his average of 24.6. Given Milwaukee, you're going to be good. You know, he he plays enough of the games that I feel very comfortable with with what he does, even though he's kind of pushing his age up a little bit. Um, I think 24.6 is on the high end, if you would have to to guess without looking at stats what Drew Holiday averaged last year. Um, I did think there was a lot of people kind of jumping over him. Um, I had him just one behind Josh Giddy, two behind Jalen Brunson as point guards that I, I felt, you know, happier to kind of risk that they're going to really push past the likes of Drew Holiday this year. But, you know, at 48, I had um, Drew Holiday at 52 on my board. It's basically, you know, whereabouts he should go and he, he kind of takes it in. If I want to get really hot takey, <laughs> I would say he's he's getting the, the age and they're going to monitor him, um, get through the season, I think, a little bit. And he's not going to have the real big games um, that you want to, to really kind of carve out a winning um, team sometimes. But I think that's that's probably a bit unfair because I think Drew Holiday's fine here. Um if I, <laughs> we want to get back more hot takey, Keldon Johnson at uh, 53. Uh, I just, I don't like the idea of Keldon Johnson at 53 until you show me the Spurs starting five. And then you're like, ah, oh, well, he's the best player on that team. <laughs> um, so it's going to have to come from somewhere. I, I am a little bit concerned that there's the assumption that, you know, someone's just going to eat up all these DeJounte Murray stats. But I guess what the thing is, the baseline of what Calvin Johnson looked like, I know I talked him up last year. I'm still, you know, on the train. I still think, you know, the fact that he trained with Team USA, even though it was a while ago now and I've spoken it like, like at all, like I still like that, that, that he's he's able to kind of come into this environment and learn up and be of the best players. And, um, you know, by all accounts, you know, told that, you know, he, he fit in and he didn't feel out of place. And I think he missed time last year. And I just, I like the idea of it all. It's just when 53, it's hard to, if things kind of, other people take too much of a leap in front of him, it can it can soften the blow here. I, I think maybe it's a touch risky, but I, it's hard to do, have too much of a, a hot take Um with a guy that's probably the best player on a team. And it, I, I had him at 70 on my board. I think, you know, his average of 20.1 last year is low compared to a lot of the other people that has been taken in this round. So, you know, the likes of CJ McCollum and Vucevic um, after him, I think uh, are both more bankable kind of players that you know what you're going to get out of him. So I think it's risky. I think... Everyone in the mindset of someone's going to have to score on Utah and Spurs is dangerous if you don't think the play is good enough. Um, I guess the way that you go forward this is, well, Calvin Johnson is good enough, um, but he's not on anyone's kind of lips yet in terms of like a top kind of 40 guy. So um, we're going to have to see a little bit more from him this year for him to really pay off here. Um, I think it's a fantasy coach statistic analytic pick with less of the feel. Um, and my feeling is I would have gone elsewhere for now. Um, and that's a little bit more hot takey than <laughs> I would have usually said. Uh, next pick, Terry Rogier. Yeah, I think Terry Rogier is great. I think he's a, 
a coach killer kind of efficiency neg dude, but I think he was one of the better um, beneficiaries of that negative 0.5 change. Um, I think last year he, he proved that this is not just like a um, anomaly in terms of the Hornets needing someone to score and he filled that role. Like I think he, he has that scoring touch. He can light it up. I was a true kind of... Um, I guess recruit believer on, on he he showed me the way last year as he ended up on my team as a mistake and still kind of was one of my more consistent and reliable players for the whole season. An average of twenty two point five last year that I think potentially even goes up. I had him at fifty nine on my board, so pick sixty eight is cool. I like him. What am I gonna say? Hornets, I'm worried. Lamella ball being out. I'm hoping that it's, you know, grade two sprain is does mean slight ligament tearing, I think, based on what I've read, you know, your month-ish on the sidelines, maybe misses the first three weeks, maybe less, I'm hoping. But Terry Rogier probably plays main point guard there. I'm, and this is more my Lamello take, and, and maybe, you know, if someone does review my team, they'll, they might have the same take, but... I'm getting a little bit worried about the Hornets steering into the tank and you hear more and more about this when Brignana race and if Lamella's already injured and if Gordon Hayward, you know, goes down again, do they really steer in it? What does that mean for Terry Rogier? What does that mean for Lamella Ball? There's there's some trepidation there and it's in the back of my mind. I think he, it's less of a risk kind of thing because it's around seven investment rather than around two with Lamella. But um just I'd have that on my peripherals with a few teams, but Hornets in particular, because I think they think they should be better than they are, and they've got players that are good um, compared to a few of these other obvious tank teams. Um, but if things go wrong, what do they do with the Terry Rogier? Um, I think the the likelihood is they just kind of kick on playing because um, it's hard to real kind of shut shut down at all so early. Um, and they might be losing because they're just bad, but we'll see. Have it on your radar is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, next, Franz Wagner. I think we're all big on him. He went from someone that was super, you know, untalked about to a really sexy NBA fantasy Twitter kind of guy for reasons. You know, he did a lot last year, but also he had the kind of the Euro League stuff where he, he came to the front and, you know, he was crossing over and stepping back Giannis, of all people, I think, while splashing threes to Germany, playing well. Franz Wagner and um, Suggs as well, these Orlando players that last year and Suggs this year couldn't have had a worse summer league. Watching Franz Wagner just, like, struggle to score, not really know where he's doing to a point where it was 20 games into the season where he really failed at home added off our way of a wire to a really consistent season where he averaged 18.1, lower than it should be because, you know, he obviously had these rookie kind of um, moments where he was figuring stuff early, but um, really set it in. People are, are talking about him as a real kind of cornerstone piece to Magic going forward, and I'm buying it in, into all of it. Um, I really think watching him, he's he's got something a little bit special. He's confident. He um he knows what he needs to do and where he needs to be. Um, I think the Paolo thing's interesting because I guess Franz gets pushed to to more your kind of small forward where he was playing a bit of power forward last year. Um, I guess he already did the small forward when he had the lineups of Carter and Bumba next to him and he excelled there. So the idea I think is Carter goes center. Um, Paolo plays 
your your four and he plays more of the three. I think he's fine off ball because um, he's got the smarts. If, if Parlo's more of a kind of a uh, a glue um, ball stopper kind of dude when he gets it to, to work his offense. So I think, you know, that's the the way you kind of look at it and saying, well, where the, the next step is there, but is the next step blunted by the fact that, you know, they've got the number one pick coming in. They do have a lot of other young kind of lottery picks that are still, you know, wanting to show themselves. God forbid RJ Hampton gets on the court because all he do, wants to do is, you know, show that he's better than his minutes and, and jack up shots. <laughs> so... I, I'm I'm curious to see how it kind of all works in Orlando because again I reckon they're the team where there's so many people drafted for them because there's all of an, an expectation about all these players that should be getting minutes and should be getting their stats because they're good enough. Whereas at some point they're gonna have to kind of focus in on on who's gonna eat. But I I do think Franz Wagner's you know one of them because he's probably their second most important piece moving forward after Paolo and. At 73, um, I think it's really healthy. I had him at 75 on my board and I kept kind of pushing him up. I think he was like 100 when I first did my ranking. So, um, real up there. Um, it's not crazy um, like a steal or anything like that. Um, but I, I, I do think it's one I can get behind. Not a sleeper anymore, as we said, because everyone was probably on him. But good time to take him. Next, we have... Kevin Porter Jr., a stairway to Kevin Dan, sweetheart favorite. Can't help but, you know, take the the injured fall and nurse him back to health. <laughs> He's damaged goods, Kevin Porter Jr., but in the way that I, you can't just give up on him. I'm a little bit like, okay, well, where does he fit in moving forward now? Um, are they still thinking that he's, he's this... Um, interesting piece that shows you this scoring and assists and, and a weird kind of point guard um, possibilities. I, I, I did think, you know, is this the time that they move forward from him? The It's not like we hear amazing things about his behavior and as a culture guy. Um, I still think there's question marks around it, but not as much as potentially there were. Um I'm getting more comfortable with the scenario that his his role is going to be similar to what it was last year. And if it is that, I think it's a big win getting him here because I bumped him back, you know, a little bit just thinking like, what what is his role? Is his role a little bit minimized compared to last year? You've picked him here at 88. I had him at 99 on my board, but that was just because I had a little bit of question marks on some of the guys they're bringing in going forward. But maybe that's a that's an old take and maybe we need to update it a little bit. I'm just not all the way there. Um, but if you look at some of his stats, and his preseason has been great. Um, so, Kevin, it's fine. It's good. If I wanted a really hot take, I'd smash it. But I think that hot take is going to be wrong. I'm saying hot take a lot. I hope we do we do a drinking game every time I say it. It's Friday now, so maybe Friday night, if you've got a beer in your hand, let's do it. For the sake of it, Let's double down. I think he's a real risk. I I think that Houston, to be good, they need to move forward with a plan where he's an off-the-bench kind of guy, and he doesn't want to be that guy, and I don't know where it fits in. I don't want to steer a team into the tank um, through disruption. I want to do it kind of getting the players that I want around that I think we're going to build forward, but knowing that 
if I'm putting them in these scenarios now and playing all these guys that they're they're not built to to beat these better teams or even these word teams. So that's let's just go with that. In my mind, I think it's fine, but for the sake of the podcast, I think it's it's a worry, and I don't like Kevin Porter Jr. Um, with Houston moving forward, and I don't know if, how they're going to make it work if something goes wrong. Yeah, why not? <laughs> All right, Jalen Smith at round 10. So, 93. The idea is there. I think it's similar to this Calvin Johnson theory. He's going to get minutes. He's going to put, um, you know, whether Miles Turner moves or not, we don't know if Jalen Smith's good, but we know that he can do enough based on the opportunity he was given last year with the Pacers. They kind of got him for absolutely nothing, was it, in the end? Um, I know he's got his team option rejected by Phoenix, which on record, a lot of people say he was, you know, ridiculous, unforgivable kind of thing. I guess they thought he was no good at all. We've seen enough that that's wrong, but we haven't seen enough to, to say that he's good yet. Um, he's got Isaiah Jackson in his last pick at the end of his draft, which we'll get to. Um, but that does kind of factor into some of the things I think of Jalen Smith. I don't think his role is secure enough that you go starting powered forward for the Pacers means fantasy points. I did take that view um, when I was ranking him, but I did slowly, slowly kind of drop him off because um, I'm worried that he's one of those guys where, okay, we're losing games or something happens and we change our lineup and suddenly he's off the bench and he's getting, you know, 18 to 20 minutes instead of 26. Um, I had him at 106 on my board. You've taken him here at 93, maybe around early, but I can get behind it. And I do think that this is one of the players where we have five or six, you know, a season of these big guys that their their role ends up being a lot secure than we thought. And they're kind of this double-double guy, you know, night in, night out. And they, they push, you know, forward a, a two or three round kind of worth of value from where you've got him. And he has the potential, but I do think um, he's up there with the likes of, you know, I think I had Nick Claxton, even Marvin Bagley around like question mark big guys at round this mark. It's just when I look up and down a roster, Jalen Smith doesn't just, you know, jump out of someone that I'm loving. Um, but at this point, it's a good one to kind of keep track of moving forward. And if the paces do really turn into the tank, I think that's only a good thing. <laughs> we're, we're projecting paces as being this guy, this team. I think they've got enough good paces to, or pieces to be winning basketball games. Obviously, Tyrus Halliburton we're talking about. Um, I don't know if the obvious kind of trade is out there for Miles Turner at the moment, but it probably will come. Um, so that's why we're thinking, you know, they do kind of sell a couple of pieces and, and want to be bad for the first time in a while. whatever. But I mean, if Matherin comes on, he's got 27 off the bench yesterday in his preseason. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, next pick, Kyle Lowry. Uh, maybe more of a homer pick again. He said he wanted to get guys he liked. Kyle Lowry, for all that, you know, is said about him is um, going to get his, you know, jersey retired in Toronto. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, I guess. I don't know. People get in easy to say, but what I'm trying to say is Kyle Lowry's, you know, career is is not under question, very decorated, means a lot to Toronto, means a lot to Dan possibly, and he's done as much, I think, as he possibly could to get 
um, out of him and his skill set, his body. Um, you can only respect what Kyle Lowry's done. I have been down on him for years and years now, though. Um, last year, I think I was down on him again, and I was in lockstep with kind of how things went. But you know, he has he has hurt me before. But I'm I'm on the the opinion that Kyle, Kyle Lowry's like borderline rosterable. I had him at 142. I know he averaged 20.6 last year, but he's in and out of the team. He's, you know, he only scored the 12 or 1300 points last year. He's old in a way that um, I think he's in the top three eldest players in the the league with the likes of LeBron and Andre Iguodala, as in guys that are rostered and playing minutes. Um, His booty (laughs) is out of control. I just... um, I'm worried about kind of how it looks like long-term for a season to take him at pick uh, 108. That's just just me. I think it's a, a missed opportunity um, to go somewhere else. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about how Miami looks um, outside of Butler, Adebayo, and Hero is, is what I'm thinking. They've got a few pieces down there. It's more the shooting guard glut which is, you know, stopping them. But I do think Tyler Hero can create and handle. I think, you know, they will give the ball to Jimmy Butler a bit. So does that afford them more, um, you know, opportunity to play uh, a Struess or see, you know, is Duncan Robinson anything that kind of what he was or is Oladipo kind of coming in the lineup? I do think they've got a lot of like rotating pieces that they rely on Kyle Larry when it comes crunch time to lead... Um, set them up and do different things. But I don't, you know, his three-point shootings, you know, still very, very liable. But I think over the course of the season, he's not going to be in the position to to be as fantasy valuable as we've seen in the past. Um, Evaki Zubak, fine, great. Didn't have him as an exciting player, but his average of like 19 last year is respectable to the point where you look at Clippers and say, they're super deep, but who's playing big for them? And he's kind of the, the one that stands out as the answer. You know, Hartenstein's not there anymore. Um, I think by way of default, he's the same guy. He does what he does. You know, I had him listed against like similar probably to these like Jalen Smith, Bagley, Claxton kind of guys and say, you know, that he, he's probably more likely to, to, to be at the similar level, but, you know, he's not going to do the things that the others are going to do, but he's still, he's got a locked kind of role in moving forward, I think. Um, so one that I didn't want to take, but purely because you want to get in guys you like sometimes. And I think he's probably a weird one to bring in if you're, your onus on, on getting guys in is because you like them because he's a bit nothing, but He's nothing in a way that's going to churn out, you know, the role that he does. So he's he's, he's a he's a fine ass pick at that one. Um, next is Marcus Smart, and I'm going to go all the way in on this one. I think he's a better player than Brogdon. I think he's showed to the coach that is no longer there <laughs> that he deserves to start point guard. All right, so maybe this is where he's going to fall apart. But I think you know the. The, the coaching staff that is going to take over um, 
and and lead uh, pretty much in lockstep with the direction that they were heading. And that Marcus Smart is the starting point guard. He makes them better. He's you know reigning defensive player of the year, regardless if you want to say about that. I think he's still got a chip on the shoulder even after winning the award because people are like, oh, I don't know if that's deserved. He's going to show. He's going to come out. The three point shooting has come on in leaps and bounds. He is no longer a go under the screen guy. He will make you pay, and he is able to draw fouls. He does everything you want. I'm a huge Marcus Smart guy, and that's been a Marcus Smart guy when he was fringe ownable. I think he's not fringe ownable now. I think he's more than that. I think he's up at your like 100 mark, and you've got him at 128 here. I'm going all the way in on Marcus Smart in a big way. Hot take, drink your beer. I'm big on it. I love Marcus Smart, and he's the only Boston jersey that I can bring myself to wear because I don't like Boston, and I have a hard time coming to grips with this given that I've drafted both Brown and Tatum this year. I'm restocking my jerseys, and I'm, I'm, I'm nearly there, but I'm not quite over the line whether I should get a Jalen Brown because I don't like wearing the green, but I will for Marcus Smart because he's a fucking stud, and I like the pick. Next, we have PJ Washington. It's the right time to take him. I don't like PJ Washington. I was down on him last year, but that was more of a role thing. He did slip out of the starting rotation. He didn't have a great year. He was up and down. um, Charlotte Hornets are weird. I don't know who they want to kind of figure out to that gap of Miles Bridges. I was like, is it Kelly Oubre? Um, You know, is it a few other guys? Is it some of their rookie dudes from last year? You know, even Cody Martin or the other man, Caleb, whatever one's on the Hornets, <laughs> I like both of them. And I think they may got the opportunity. But PJ Washington probably is another one that's like, okay, can he fill this void? The idea of Mason Plumley is not as good as, you know, I was hoping last year. I think PJ Washington is a fair risk at this point because it's not a risk because you picked him at 133. Um, I still don't love his game. But I think he can be frisky. I think he has a nice offensive touch. He's a bit, you know, short in terms of some of the, if you want to play, you know, big go center. But I can't, I like, I'm I'm on board with, with the idea of taking him here. And I think maybe he had him a couple of years ago and he kind of came on quite well as a rookie. Um, so I think the next step's there. It's a, it's a good ad late. And Isaiah Jackson, I think, is a, a real another one of the NBA Twitter sexy sleepers that was going around to get picked late. Um, whether you're all the way in on the Miles Turner move or you're getting Jalen Green insurance, um, we've seen glimpses of when he plays. He's been really kind of um, not just good and fun to watch with the team, but also the the numbers were really ticking over in the way that it's it's kind of hard for coach to ignore um, what he's doing. So you, I'm. We'll see what his, you know, opening night minutes allotment is, but he's one of those guys that, um, you know, if he's getting, you know, eight, 10 points in, you know, limited minutes, 12, 13 off the bench, he's going to be afforded more of a role moving forward. And I think it's a, a smart enough pick at the end and completely risk free given you get him with the third last pick of the draft at 148 here. So, yeah, very comfortable with the few ones to round out. And I wouldn't have expected anything different based on what we've seen in the past couple of years from Dan, um, you know, winning two titles in, in a short space of time. 
So I think overall, if we're going to the best picks, um, I think there's a couple of opportunities and ones that put their hands up, but I I do think that Terry Rogier is probably his best pick at 68. I think it's super value. Um, I think it's a really smart time to go him as much as, you know, Terry Rogier is probably not the, the name you want to hear in terms of your best pick. I think in terms of value and what he's going to give you and what he might do in the absence of Lamella Ball early, he kind of looks and stands out um, as a good pick. And that's Mark Smart or um, Franz Wagner were looking at potential ones as well. So I think his worst pick is a hard one to to kind of go down. I'm not going to go all the way there with Zion, but I will with Pascal. Um, I think it's going to be very hard for him to, to replicate the 30 of last year because that's, you know, a big time kind of number. And I think at 13, it has the potential to hurt you more than the Zion one. Um, Zion's more of a, it's weird that you've, he's picked him earlier um, this year based on him missing the whole year. But the pathway for, for him to to be, you know, this top player is quite obvious still. Whereas whereas Pascal, I think he's going to stay, take a step back and he should have been a, a later second round guy already. So, you know, the fact that Carl Anthony Towns and, you know, guys like that in the second round have gone, um, I do think they're, they're better options. And maybe that's a bit of a punch in the gut given he's a um, homeboy Toronto, but I just it's more of where you've taken him. Um, wild card kind of guy. Yes, go Calvin Johnson. He's a wild card for me. Big time wild card. Um, and the sleeper, let's go Jalen Smith. If he stays in his role, he's going to gonna outperform, but I'm not all the way there um, that it's rock solid. Another one down, a little bit more frisky this time, a little bit more over the place, but hopefully in a fun way. These are the ones that are going to come back to hurt me <laughs> when Pascal Siakam's a top 10 player this year. But um, a fun one for a Friday. The sun is actually out, peaked out of the clouds for the first time in 48 hours. And hopefully you're enjoying um, your time today and move into a beautiful weekend, the last weekend without NBA fantasy basketball and NBA league pass on our team. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I'm excited to get in games, but maybe take some time to to say hello to your friends and family and loved ones and hug them before you abandon them to watch NBA basketball every day for the next, you know, six, eight months. <laughs> now nah, we all we all we all balance it out. But it's been good. A couple more to come. Please keep tuning in and and listen to those ones. And I hope everyone's been Uh, ticking along and enjoying what we've been dishing out. We'll talk to you very soon, guys. See you later.